0: Welcome to the Gate Drop Podcast. GateDrop.com, giving you the jump in motocross news. GateDrop.com podcast and a review of the Rayola MXGP. I'm Jonathan McCready and joining me is Andy McKinstry. And Andy, that was probably the roughest and the toughest Grand Prix of the year, 30 degree heat, and who would have guessed? But Calvin Velandrin dominated all weekend, won three motos, Unbelievable ride, unbelievable performance, and he was extremely smooth throughout, even including all over overall them bumps. He looked the, the fastest, he looked the smoothest. Pretty phenomenal performance from Calvin Velandro.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, what a GP. Um, there's been a lot of people saying, obviously, after the, the heights of MXGP um, last year, that this year's quite quite a boring season. But um, I mean, what a GP that was just unbelievable racing throughout all the classes really really good as you said a bumpy track holes absolutely everywhere bumps everywhere very very challenging and then the 30 degrees heat on top of that just to make it a complete nightmare yeah it's been a while <laughs> since uh, the end of the MXCP first moto with survival it's been a long time since i've remembered that but that's that's the reality of it It was so so tough but and as you touched on there calvin vallandran i mean Yamaha hadn't won an MXGP overall coming into the weekend. Calvin Flanderen hadn't been on the podium. For him to win and give Yamaha their first MXGP overall, he was quick, he, he done it quicker than any of the factory guys this year. And he hasn't even been on the podium before this weekend. I don't know what happened, but something must have just clicked an unbelievable weekend. Just phenomenal riding and phenomenal skill around such a brutal track.
0: He made quite an interesting comment for me after the first moto where he, he ran down Prado and Geyser at the end. He said "There, there's more to come. He didn't look as tired as the other two. Now we know subsequently that Tim had illness and we obviously knew that Prado had the shoulder issue, but Calvin's raw speed was on their level anyway. His fitness was fantastic both motos. And the way he was going around the track, he was almost using less energy because he was so fluid on the bike. He just seemed to go to another level. And after that first moto, it was almost like he fully believed in himself and he knew that his performance wasn't even out of his comfort zone. And I wonder if the week before, the way he led from maybe, was it 10 minutes or so, maybe 15 in, in the first moto, if that gave him the confidence to realize, actually, I can run the pace of these guys. Because he mentioned about how important believing in himself was, and this was the first time he fully believed in himself that he could win and he went out and delivered in style?
1: Absolutely. For me, I think it was the qualifying race was maybe the, the biggest thing of the weekend, I think, yeah. after he won that. And, and holding off Tim to, to do it as well, that gave him the confidence and the belief maybe maybe that he's needed, that actually he can do it. And he woke up on Sunday, he brought the, the same kind of form, he brought his A game. And um, I think the 10 minutes extra probably suited him obviously with Prado just returning with the shoulder injury and Geyser getting sick just before the event so the longer moto actually suited him probably and the and the rougher track and he was just unbelievable and hopefully mentally he seems to be in a good place now and hopefully he can continue this kind of form um, we must remember Madura, he was close to the podium that's hard pack, we're going to be going to Spain next, it's a hard pack track so okay we're probably not expecting him to win there as well, but there should be no reason why I can't lock on the door for a podium at least. And that's still very, very good for Calvin Vlander considering before this weekend, he had never even stood on the podium.
0: And his speed even last year in certain moments in certain races and certain rounds, he had strong speed and not far off that elite top five as it was back then. This year as well, he's shown glimpses of that speed. He hasn't always got away this was seemed to be the first round where it all came together and it came together more perfectly than he could probably have ever have dreamed of. I think that's the first time a South Africans won an MXGP since Greg (laughs) Albertine. And I grew up in that era of Greg Albertine winning one of my favorite riders of of the nineties. And he came from South Africa. And that's a big thing to do to come from kind of outside the the European or even the the North American sphere of racing. And it's not even Australia, New Zealand, really, where they have good series. Sort of come from South Africa. We've seen Tyler it, Gareth Swanepoel, but Calvin Malander to come where he's come from, adapt to to Europe, as it were, all these different countries, get used to the cold weather again, and climb all that, climb that mountain, intermittently deal with all these injuries that he's had. Even the last two, end of last year, he was injured. He had to take some time off early before the end of the season. He's come back again. He's shown a lot of fighting spirit as well. It's not just talent. And he also lost that factory ride when he moved into MXGP. So he certainly hasn't had it easy. He's had to fight for everything he's got. And it was really, really nice to see the reward of that two Moto, essentially three Moto GP win, if you include that qualifier, as you mentioned earlier, an unbelievable performance and richly deserved for everything he's done to try and work his way up to the top of this sport.
1: Absolutely. I think Albertine, the last GP he won was 94, and that was the year I was born. So
0: oh, you wouldn't absolutely. remember him
1: then? Yeah, well, you, I'm trying to make you feel really old here. Right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, unbelievable. And I think the Geb Van Van team team deserve a lot of credit as well. They've obviously been able to stepped up a lot this year. I think the bike was already quite good last year, but a bit off the factory bikes. Over the winter, they've decided to go big. They've been able to source star Yamaha engines. And I think that's been a big, big positive for the team and for Vlander. And just knowing that he has got the equipment now to, to battle with the factory bikes. And big credit to that team. They've been in the GP paddock for a number of years. Um, obviously, with Kawasaki, then they've made the switch to Yamaha. Always done a really good job. But I don't think their ambition... Real their realistic ambition before this year was to win but I think now they know that they have a package and they have a rider capable of doing just that so they'll be hoping now that that's not the last win and I have to say it's been a long time since a rider like that's I think surprised by by winning such a big event for me you have to go the whole way back to 2013 when Sean Simpson beat um, Antonio Crowley at the brutal layer up and he was racing a JK Yamaha at the time, and for me, that's very similar to this, and just, just such a big surprise. It kind of came out of nowhere. You wouldn't have been surprised to get on the podium, but the way he did it was just phenomenal, and it's a weekend he'll he'll remember for the rest of his life. Really unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and the way he did it, I think, puts an exclamation mark on his win. He didn't. Whole shot either moto. We passed what was believed to be going in the two best riders in the class, with Jeffrey Herlings and Roman Fevright, to win that first one. And the second one, he looked almost the way Geyser has this year. He was calm. He made his pass in Jonas. He waited a bit, then made a decisive pass on Jorge Prado and basically ran away from the field and potentially was able to enjoy it, if you could ever enjoy 30-degree heat around a load of sand dunes. I don't know. But great the same win, and I think the emotion at the end of the the race told just about how how hard it is to do that, even whenever you have the talent, and B how much it means to sacrifice everything, leave your home country and come to Holland and Belgium and put in all those hours and all those laps and finally reach the goal that you've always set yourself.
1: Exactly, that's what it's all about. And, you know, it is nice to see that emotion. We're so used to seeing the top guys win it's, you know it's it's very very difficult for somebody like Flandre just to come into MXGP and win around so I think all that hard work and all those sacrifices he's made it was nice to see him let that out at the end of that moto and um, that's why we love sport and especially physical demanding sports you know it's very very tough to get to the top and that's a big big weekend for Flandre and obviously he's, he's won a couple of GPs in MX too but MXCP, the premier class, and I think doing it on, on a non factory bike as well is another thing that's it's very difficult. So, fair play, unbelievable. Hopefully, he can keep the ball rolling now. And he says, he said this definitely won't be the last. So, fingers crossed, he can stand on the top step a couple of times more this season. And the problem for the Geb and Van Venra are going to have now are the factory teams. I'm not yeah. quite sure why they didn't stop him up before, but I think. Uh, uh now they'll they'll definitely be sniffing around him and trying to secure him for the twenty twenty-three season.
0: Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. What do you see happening, Calvin? We know he was considered by Kawasaki this year. He was he had a Honda factory ride in MX two, but he stuck with Gavin, and Gavin have stuck with him and given him good equipment. What does this mean for Gavin? Will they potentially get more Yamaha support? Will it mean Calvin is it will go into the Yamaha factory, do you think, or will other other teams circling around them as well?
1: It's a difficult one. It really is. Um, obviously, it's probably going to come down to money. I think <laughs> we're in a position now where Gavin probably do have a, a pretty good good equipment um, and maybe even better than some factory teams, but obviously the budget they have wouldn't be as much. So maybe Yamaha could help pay a bit of his wage or something like that and maybe keep him in the same sort of setup. I don't think he'll be in the full factory team because I believe they're only going to be running two next year. So they're actually going to be making the team smaller. Um, I think Kawasaki is probably the most realistic um, factory bike. You could see on. Um, And again, if they offer him a good deal financially, he'll probably take it. But you have to look at it now and say, is it that much of a step up in terms of equipment? Obviously, Ben is very, very hot and cold, but we'll probably have to see what Fever can do when he comes back. If Fever performs the same way he did last year, when he gets back back up to full speed, then we can probably say that the bike's good enough and then it would be a good ride. But at the moment, it's, it's hard to see him go to another factory team because Honda obviously looks like looking Ruben looking, Fernandez is yeah. getting promoted there. and it doesn't leave much. So I would say Kawasaki would be the one possibly if he was to, to leave the Gabon Van Venroy team.
0: And then the other side of that, he is comfortable on that team. He knows the bike. And if Yamaha are going down to two in the full factory team, will that leave slightly more budget for Calvin to get Yamaha stuff in the Gaben team? Well, obviously he's ready. The bike's already the team know him, the mechanics and all that. So is there an option he could actually stay there? if budgeters, budgets are rejigged, if Yamaha only happened to, instead of taking that risk to go to a brand-new bike and a brand-new brand, brand new team, even if it is factory, you aren't going to know how that's all going to work out, especially whenever you, you've pretty much proven that a, a Yamaha machine that isn't factory on a, on a private team with your talent on board can can do the job and win Grand Prix.
1: Yeah, and one thing I would actually like to see is, I would like to see Factory KTM send another MXGP rider. Obviously. Yeah. They've got Jeffrey. Jeffrey's injured and now they have nobody. Why not sign Calvin, a very good backup to Jeffrey? Why not? They've obviously got two Husqvarna riders in MXEP. They've now got two Gas Gas riders in MXEP. So obviously they've got Fial coming up. That would be the only thing, but why not?
0: Yeah, KTM have certainly had a very difficult to understate everything. <laughs> On the, on the 450 class, both in Supercross and in MXGP, the fact that coming back to, to race outdoors in America sort of underlines that. So their plans going forward will actually be very interesting. Yes, we know Tom Vial is coming up next year, all being well, but you still have the hurlings question. Tom Vial a rookie, so will the maybe even have three with a backup? That actually brings us on to Gas Gas they did bring in a backup of sorts in Matteo Guadagnini. And for me, he actually did pretty well. It's, he probably couldn't have picked a more difficult round to to make his debut in, but a top 10 overall. Pretty solid for me, although sometimes you do wonder could he have got a podium in MX2 on that sort of going. But Guadagnini didn't seem to make any big mistakes. He certainly had good pace. And with Jorge Prado coming back, for me... If it hadn't been for Calvin Volander, I think all the talk would have been about Jorge Prado because to come back from dislocated shoulder, three weeks of no racing. And yes, we know he's really good in the sand, but you maybe don't want a track that rough. He even had a crash on the Saturday, kind of landed on on that shoulder to come back and take two third places for second overall. Pretty impressive for the Spaniard.
1: Yeah, uh, it was impressive for uh, Prado, just to to miss a GP, come back with the injury and and get back on the podium. Uh, But we all know he's capable, especially around a a track like that. And Physically, to be fair, he looked looked quite good, considering I think if he was riding in big pain, I don't think what he did would have been possible, to be honest. So it's nice to see him back at the front and um, that might actually be a big confidence boost because if he can do that, not 100% fit. Hopefully he knows that um, moving forward he can get plenty more GP wins this year. Um, just on Guadagnini, I, I, I think it was a, it would be fair to say it was a very, very big surprise when we got the press release that he was going up the MXGP. But what, what was your thoughts on it initially? I
0: was shocked to start with because with the age of Guadagnini, you thought that actually... An MX2 world title was potentially within his grasp over the next three years. And especially you can admit that well, maybe he would go this year just for experience with MX2 has been tough on him, hasn't quite sort of reached the heights he had last year. For me, it's maybe early. But the other side of that is he's a bigger guy, so his starts were not always fantastic in MX2 anyway. And I think he has the talent to do well, as we just seen in, in Rayola, but still. Even this MXGP class, were, we're missing a couple of riders this year. It's already very deep, even though there are all those injuries. It's not going to get any easier next year, even though he has experience. So talent-wise, think, I think he has it. But he's only really one full year of experience in World Championship Racing, and that was last year in MX2. But again, KTM, the KTM group have had a tough year. To add another high-quality rider, on the Gas Gas team, might also help Prado, because he's maybe been trying to do all that testing on his own, and just a side note on Prado, it looks to me, I know he crashed into Geyser a couple of rounds ago, before he dislocated his shoulder, but from that round, he looks like he's really made progress with the bike, and he looks a lot more comfortable on it. Guadagnini didn't seem to have any issues this weekend, eighth overall. So I think, in terms of talent, I think he's fine in MXGP, but I'm just surprised they went this early. He's Still two or three years left in MX2. At least two years with Vial and Gertz moving up, I'm sure by by next year, if not 2024. For me, Guadagnini's still a time to potentially win a world title and it's a wee bit interesting and possibly confusing as to why he left that option on the table to go to the 450, but maybe it was a size in the field. A 450 will suit him better in the long term?
1: Yeah, I mean... I was the same as you. I was very shocked. But then once I thought about it, and if you just isolate this season and forget about his future, it probably doesn't make that much difference whether he's using MX2 now or MXGP now. But for me, the interesting thing is it seems like he's saying goodbye to his MX2 or championship career. I would quite like him to keep that door open possibly because, you know, sometimes a rider can go to a 450 And then, because they have to ride it differently, you know, smooth and all that, whenever they go to the 250, they find it much easier to be aggressive and just ride flat out on a 250. And also, like you alluded to, Fial's moving up. There's talk, if Gertz gets the title this year, he's going to move up. So, MX2 would be wide open next season if that does happen. And he could be a better rider at the end of this year, just using the experience in the MXGP class. So, while... I don't think it's a bad move to ride MXGP this year. I would like him to maybe revisit his options towards the end of this year and then consider racing MX2 again next year because, as you say, he could be a future MX2 world champion. Will he be an MXGP world champion? It's gonna be very difficult, and like you said, Renault's gonna have a, a an extra year, so he's probably gonna be better next year. You're gonna have Hurlings back. You're gonna have Fever fully up to speed by then, and then you're gonna have Vial, and potentially Gertz, if he wins this title. That's that's the latest word on the street, and then although and then all the other injured riders coming back as well. So it'll be a very big challenge next year in MXGP form. I think, but he has got a lot of talent, and it will be interesting to see. How he does the rest of this year? Who knows? He, he could maybe have a similar effect in MXGP to Ruben Fernandez. Maybe he'll get a couple of top fives, and then you will maybe feel like he'll belong at the front. But I still do think an MXGP world title very, very tricky. Whereas MX2, even though it's tricky, with Vial and Gertz moving up, even if Gertz doesn't move up next year, it'll be the year after, MX2 is going to be really exciting and wide open. So... Be very interesting to see what the future holds for. Him. And if he does maybe reconsider going back to MX2.
0: It kind of looks to me <clears throat> that there's a bit of a chance of the guard in MXGP. Yes, you have Hurlings and Geyser, and they're still relatively young in their mid-20s, sort of heading towards late 20s now. Roman Favre is getting towards 30, but with the success of Renew, the success of Ruben Fernandez, the speed of Jed Beaton, that's maybe brought to light or a sort of light bulb moment on for these MX2 riders that hang on. We can actually go there and compete because I've raced with Ruben last year. I was battling with Maxime Renault. These guys are going straight in and getting really good results. It doesn't the speed kind of underlines the level of MX2. And maybe for riders that are a bit bigger, that aren't getting the starts, they're thinking, what's the point of me trying to race a Tom Vialli, Iago Gertz, these guys that are just rocket ships and have the, the size-to-weight ratio off the start on a small bike? Maybe if I get to 450s, it'll suit me better, like we're saying, even with uh, Tim Geyser, although he was a world champion, but he, he took to the 450 like a, like a duck to water. And maybe with the MX2 riders seeing their level being proven by their competitors on a 450, whenever they move up, they're starting to think, that actually might suit me better.
1: Yeah, it's a valid point, but I mean, he's twenty. That's the, that's,
0: that's the fact. You know, he's, he's only won a full of year of our championship. Yeah, in his yeah, and
1: he's only twenty, and he's basically said goodbye to his MX2 career already. I mean, that's a long time race in MXGP. Even if he stayed in MX, if he came back to MX2 next year, Road Twenty Twenty Three and Twenty Twenty Four MX2. That's and then move up. I think that would be a year early that would still be, you know, so a long time years, in yeah. MXGP. So, and even for the motivation, that would be quite good. Whereas riding the same class every year for 10 years, after five or six years, what will the motivation be like, you know? but You would
0: think a world title would be the carrot, you know, to, which is a realistic goal for somebody of his ability in MX2 to stay there. Try and get that because as you said, 23, you're still going to be relatively young to move to 450 anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. So, um, interesting uh, choice. And um, I think it was even more interesting the way that they worded the press release um, saying that this is going to happen for 2023 anyway. Yeah. don't think anybody even seen that coming. No, that was the almost a so, shock than the, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, up.
0: But fair very, play very to, to Guadagnini. He certainly got the, the talent to be an MXGP rider and to go into that class and come out top 10 overall. I think un- underlines that fact, but it probably Absolutely. also underlines he's maybe got the talent to be MX2 world champion as well. But I think it's an Italian team who are used to to winning with Prado and Guadagnini. You have to say that's a very very strong team. And with Simon Langenfelder still in MX2 who rode well, will get to MX2 later. Their their team, whether they pick Guadagnini MX2 or MXGP, is very strong and maybe. From a sponsors' point of view, MXGP is the the premier category. For me, the toughest class of motorcycling in the world, and they get two elite gas gas riders up there straight away. Maybe that's part of the reason as well.
1: Yeah, it could well be, and I must say, I didn't really touch on Guardini's MXGP debut there, but he was he was very good. Like, and it's very very positive because obviously he went in with very little preparation on the bigger bike, so. He should continue to get better and not such a crazy track. Um, very, very <laughs> difficult going into MXGP at that track with little time in the bike. So good, uh, good MXGP debut and it'll be interesting to see what he can do now moving forward. But I think he'll be happy with the overall for sure, considering some of his MX2 results were around that. But for me, that's not really the worry because I was expecting him sort of to be in the top 10 anyway. It's going to be interesting to see what he does next year if he does decide to stay in MXEP when the speed at the front should be a lot higher with those guys coming back that we touched on earlier.
0: Yamaha have to be happy, not just with Calvin winning, which in one side is really good for the, for the manufacturer because it underlines how good their stock bike is. But Glenn Coldenhoff back on the podium, he had a difficult first race having to come. I think he got stuck behind Maxime Reno and turned two or three, had to come from the back there. And then a second place in race two to get on the podium. Maxime Renault rode really well, but <laughs> mistakes and bad starts just meant he had to keep coming from the back. He was fourth. And Jeremy Sear, he was wild and but fast <laughs> and got fifth. Again, crashes, probably ended his hopes of a podium, but you'd have to say he was quick enough to get it. And all three of those riders rode really well. Calvin winning, and four of the top five are Yamaha riders. With KTM traditionally being one of the strongest teams, especially with the, the advent of Escovarna and Gascas, for Yamaha to go four of the top five, and also Honda have made it definitely a resurgence this year, not just in terms of Geiger, but in terms of the backup in quotation marks with Mitch Evans. He actually rode really well, but the heat got to him in Sardinia. So his pace is coming on. And as well, Ruben Fernandez, a decent performance for him as well. So, these other manufacturers are coming on strong at the minute, the Japanese, but for Yamaha, you can't do much better than four of the top five at the toughest race of the year.
1: Yeah, they are doing really well. They're consistent, but Yamaha, we would probably argue that they want to win more. That was only the first MXGP overall win of the year, and it wasn't even the full factory guy yeah. that done it. So, I wonder what uh, Calvin's bonuses yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's what the the head man at Yamaha will be saying, and we know we know that, that they really want to win an MXGP World title. So even though they're having a, a good, consistent season, um, they're second, fourth, and fifth in the championship, I would still say they're quite a, quite a bit off winning one of these titles, which is their main goal. So still a bit of work to do in that regard. But I have to say, Renault probably, for me, rode the best out of maybe all three of them. Glenn, Central he had one form, really, really good... Yeah. I will, yeah, aside from Flandre. <laughs> um, I meant for the full factory yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. uh, Kudelhof the first motor, even though he could caught, felt like he was just solid riding. But then the second motor, he really stepped it up, rode really well. I feel like Renault rode really well in them both and was probably more impressive in the first motor because I think after the first corner, he, he had another crash on the first lap. So he came from completely dead last up to sixth. And with another couple of laps, who knows, it would have been possible. Again, sure. Was fast, but in that Sakamoto, he was, he was quite scary to watch the, with the way he was uh, riding very loose on the bike around loose, that track. Yes. Uh, it wasn't lo- much lo- of a surprise.
0: way lo- it. Yeah,
1: it wasn't much of a surprise whenever he did lose the front a couple of times, but
0: they just came back again, as fast yeah. as he was before he fell <laughs> yeah, off.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah, solid old weekend for all three Yamaha guys for sure, but the want to. Oh, uh, Renault and Cyril definitely be wanting to stand the podium again shortly.
0: Jeremy's transition from one of the smoothest calmest riders on the track technically proficient to just this guy that holds it pinned flat out on a 450 of all things is quite remarkable for me because he was you yeah. would think he would, you would do that the other way around but quite wild and aggressive on an MX2 and then smoother on an MXGP but not Jeremy Sir he does he does his own route right in life, and uh it's actually working for him. Yeah, He's coming up with results, and he's got speed, but a couple of wee crashes are just getting in the way, probably, of he's lost a few podiums out of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You've, I think you had to nail on the head. I always used to remember how smooth he was This yeah. the Suzuki up until maybe the last year at MX2, and then he started getting a little bit more aggressive, because that last yeah, year, he, he challenged for the title, and he knew he sort of had the riding edge to, to challenge, and Result he just Suzuki missed out the title. And, yeah, exactly, and no, he's in MXEP. I think he knows he has got the speed to win, but yeah. you know, to, to win an MXEP, you probably do have to ride on the edge, especially to beat, you know, guys he's been racing with this last couple guys of
0: remember, years. Yeah. Yeah. Another performance just based on the difficulties they had last year for me stood out was Jeremy Van Horbeck, ninth in the gnarliest sound you'll probably find. Um, for better, the sound was a difficult area for them last year, they seemed to have a lot of DNFs and things and difficulties but this year a top 10 overall you have to applaud that and obviously we know Van Horbeck can ride sand and hardpack he's the ability to be to be good everywhere and a top 10 after what happened last year, really good for them.
1: Yeah, that's the big thing for me, I mean last year the struggle big time in the sand and you know you're not going to get a rougher soundtrack in the, the race at the weekend so for them to be in the top 10 twice as good but interestingly I don't think Jeremy really enjoyed it I've seen it on his Instagram story he remembers when it was fun riding those conditions but yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, think anything
0: maybe just Calvin had fun in <laughs> MXGP there I mean Jorge's riding around with a dislocated, freshly dislocated shoulder, Tim Gajer will get on to now he had his worst round of the year but it kind of wasn't his fault he would think he'd food poison or illness or stomach bug or whatever it was You could see in those last two laps when Calvin came on strong, even in the first moto, Tim didn't even want anything to do with him. He basically let him by and you knew there something, something was up. I initially just thought it was the heat. We've seen in America, it gets really, really humid there. I remember being in Bud's Creek in 07, and I'm sure that wasn't anywhere near as bad as it can get in America. But the humidity there was was unbelievable just to watch and everybody kept going into the the press tent for drinks. I think they actually ran out of Red Bull because they ran out of water initially and you were just standing there sweating. So in America, you often see guys fading in the heat, especially the rookies and stuff that are Europeans that aren't used to that heat. And it was almost like that in Raiola with with Tim going backwards, but obviously had that illness as well. I think Paul's Jonas, he had good starts and good pace initially. He seemed to struggle a bit with the heat. And actually Mitch Evans as well mm-hmm. said he was, think he was up to fourth, fourth or fifth in, in the mm-hmm. first moto. Yeah. And he went backwards with the heat. So it definitely took took its toll on a lot of guys. And for Tim, the, the week you you want you don't want to get ill is probably when you're riding in 30 degree heat at, at Riola in the Sandjins. This was probably the worst time and he could have had all year.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It didn't come at a, at a great time did it, with the, with those conditions, but I mean, at the end of the day, he'll dust himself off, just be happy still to be injury-free. Yeah, 79 yeah. points in the championship. So as long as he's all good for Spain, I don't think he'll be too worried.
0: <laughs> right, let's go to MX2. This might have been the headline if it hadn't been for Calvin's mm. phenomenal ride. Sanji Page are always my favorite to watch, although I love the hard pack as well, but... The skill level and the timing that you can see whenever they ride the sand. Calvin was exhibit A and Jorge Prado with because he's so smooth in MXGP. But Tom Vial and Iago Gertz just give everyone riding lessons in MX2. And I'm not sure who could hang with them. In fact, I wouldn't have minded seeing their pace in MXGP in those two by on the 250 KTM and 250 Yamaha. Their pace was unbelievable and their technique was fantastic. There was a sweeping left hander. They just came on on the back wheel with the front wheel in the air over each bump. Pretty amazing. And, and the triples got triple where they were jumping into the whoops. Fantastic. And Iago actually had a line coming into a right-hander where he was jumping through the corner The Tom wasn't doing. So they were th- trying to find these different lines, very technical, probably more technical than Supercross in some ways, that track. And yet they were about a second and a half apart, both motos all race along. All race they never gave each other a rest or time to recover. Vial's intensity at the opening laps of the first race was fantastic to catch Iago because he knew Yago was trying to make the break. And similarly, Iago Gertz, he's not making the mistakes this year to the same extent. He could have easily went down the first couple of laps of race two when he saw Tom get away, but he didn't. He held on, made his passes, caught Tom, but then couldn't quite get him. And even the last lap, he actually lost time coming on to the last lap and still may, almost got onto the back wheel of Tom in the last turn. Both riders aren't giving up. Both riders are very mentally strong. And for me, they're the fastest to 250 riders in the world right now, even including the Americans.
1: Uh, it was just unbelievable watching those guys give everyone else a riding clinic. Unbelievable, the speed they were carrying, the intensity. The intensity it was, just, it was just... Yeah, just crazy. And what I would say is, you have to take your hat off to Tom Vial because he's, you know, Jago Gertz is born in the sand and that was Jago Gertz at his best. Tom Vial just raised his level. Yeah, Tommy impressed me so much. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't fault either of them, but for no. Vial to have the determination just to to get the job done in that second moto to win the overall, it was it's, almost riding right
0: perfection, good. not just with their skill level and their pace, but mentally to not make... it. Well, I know Tom crashed in that last the last lap of race one. But in terms of the pressure, because this is the championship battle, there's six points in it. If Yago won that second race, it would have went out to twelve. You know, it's big. It's not just trying to win the race; it's trying to send signals mentally to the other rider. Tom got reeled in by Yago last week on the hard pack. This time, he caught Yago in the first moto. Like, well, if you're going to do that to me, I'm going to do that to you. So, there's there's so much going on in these battles. It's not just a straight race to win the moto. It's so much more. And you can the, the tide on point, which is probably in some ways fair enough, because for Tom to have that performance, Yago to be able to reel him in the way he was riding. It looked like he had maybe a wee bit extra pace than Tommy just couldn't make that pass. And they're they're both they both rode pretty much perfect, both motors.
1: Exactly. And I mean, Tom could have been forgiven for finishing two two at the weekend, considering yeah. how amazing Gertz is in the sand. So for him to raise his level. And ride like that, and actually win the overall. That's his fourth GP win of the year so far. Very, very impressive. And what I would say is, it's the first GP this year where the bike hasn't been bouncing around. So the back end of that bike hasn't been bouncing around a lot, really. And that was the by far the roughest track. So I'm not sure whatever they've done between the GPs, but it looks like they've made good progress there, which could be bad timing for Jago Gertz if because if if they've got the bike sorted and and deep sand like that, it'll be interesting to see what it's like in the hard pack now but um, it, it, this championship really could go down to the wire and hopefully it does because it'd be really, really exciting and you ha- you'd have to feel for Gertz if he if uh, he doesn't win this title there'll be a lot of pressure going into next year then to, to finally try and get the job done but we'll cross that bridge and we'll come down at the moment just, oh, yeah. just enjoy it because it's- it's, it could be a classic season
0: He's riding so well, and he's been the faster rider. You'd expect him to have more than six points, to be honest. You know, he's, he's been right. riding that good, but for Tom to keep it that close and that second moto win was crucial. I think he led everything out there. to not make a mistake under that pressure. Yeah, it goes well in the first moto, but you alluded to the bike there, and Tom actually said in his interview that he's very happy with the bike now. And I think it's taken a few weeks to get there few months maybe to get there but it looks like he's there now because if your bike's not set up in Raioli you can't, you can't ride like that you're not going to be anywhere near Yago Gertz so it looks a bit ominous that Tom's maybe now going to in terms of the raw speed have what Yago has and it could come down to starts and just execution under pressure week in week out we saw Thibaut Benistone actually in that second motor he was staying on the pace once he lost the lead yes but he got around about 5-6 seconds dropped and then for a couple of laps, he actually caught them a bit, but it shows you just how hard it is to ride that pace for 30 minutes plus two, and he wasn't quite able to do it, especially just coming off that injury. So fair play to Table Benison. The Yamahas are performing again, and actually that was two of the, the first three in MX2 as well. So Yamaha are having some year this year in both classes, but Tom Bial was the man who got the win, and fair play to him, but also Iago Gersh. I think both just deserve a huge round of applause, and the only other guy that could maybe have a chance with them would be Jet Lawrence. And if you had Jet in that race there too, it would have been probably the three fastest guys in the world. But for me, it would be interesting to see if Jet could run that for thirty plus two over the weekend against Fial and Gertz.
1: Possibly, but you're forgetting about Kyder Wolf as well. Um I think he was pretty really and a little little bit bit more He got injured.
0: But yeah. he would have been probably not far away either. But it's, it's the consistency of that speed. I yeah, think that was particularly impressive under pressure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was unbelievable. I mean, I don't think anyone could really run that pace, but I, th- I just think the next best could have possibly been Kaida Wolf. Yeah. Um. Yeah, good luck to him running with those two around there. But um. yeah, it's, it's going to be really exciting. And I think mentally that'll be a really, really big win for Vial now because... His mindset now is probably going to be, if we can do that in the sand, going to the Spain hard pack, he'll be looking to go 1-1 there. And if he does, again, mentally, he'll be in an even better place going there. And he might look to try and roll off the 1-1s. But Iago Gertz isn't going to give it easy to him this year either. He really wants his championship. Fial's obviously won it once before and Gertz is chasing it the first time. And mentally, he looks in a better place as well. So, it's Going to be, it could be an insane battle. I just hope both guys can stay in free and keep producing that kind of battling and racing out on track. Be a fantastic season if they do,
0: yeah. And I hope people realize just how good the Allen Gertz are. They don't get a lot of chat, they're largely ignored in the US media, which is a lot of influence. But these two are the elite of the elite on, on a 250 right now. And as I say, I wouldn't have minded seeing what they could have done in the 450 class on those bikes because the way they rode around there was. Amazing to watch, but the, the speed and technique was phenomenal. It looks like they're actually pushing each other to, to new level because they both want to win so bad right now.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, all you have to do is look at their lap time. Their lap times in the first motos were actually quicker than all the 450 guys. And I think they were very similar in the MXGP second moto as well. So they probably would have been challenging for a podium, yeah, in the MXGP class. Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't have beat floundering because he had the race of was. His- Life, but (laughs) like a little far away (laughs) off the other (laughs) guys.
0: Yeah, it was unbelievable. Kevin Horgmo, good right. He he did have one of his crashes again, but still fourth overall. Kevin Horgmo, his turnaround this year has been fantastic. Not just the speed, but he's actually developing the consistency to be up there in any condition. Andrea Damo, fifth overall. Yes, he's Italian, but you would still associate him more with hard pack. And for fifth overall, in his home round, yes, but in, in that sand, really, really good. And Simon Langenfelder sixth, he's coming back. I still feel his early season form, and I don't think sixth overall is any disgrace at all. He's usually good in the sand, though.
1: I, I actually think Langenfelder's riding was warranted maybe better than a sixth. Yeah, I feel so like it was, he I had I the pace all weekend, like but results... My yeah, end, but yeah but, exactly. Yeah. And Adamo, after a few couple of rounds, it was nice to see him back up at the front again. Um... I think he's had a factory engine this last couple of GPs and the results haven't been there, but it, that should give him the boost he needs now to, to consistently run in the top five again. Although it's quite funny, he finished seventh and sixth for fifth, fifth overall, yeah. but uh, still still a good weekend for him. And, I mean, I, I know Hormo crash, but, I mean, it was easy done round there, so I don't think we can be too hard on anybody crashing nice. around that track. Don't so, the results. Yeah, exactly. The Four, fourth overall is very, very good. One guy I feel like that's knocking on the door for a podium is Isaac Gifting. I just think he needs to get two good starts on the same weekend, and I think he can do it. But he seems to get one good start, have a good moto, and then he can't consistently get out of that gate. I think if he does, he'll definitely be knocking on the door for a podium. And another guy who really had terrible starches, Liam Average. He oh, probably Everts passed him. He was my view. next guy I was
0: going to go to. He crashed on the qualifier, I think. He crashed first lap of both motors, and he had a good start in the second motor. I was really interested to see what he could do with it. Came from last both times to top 10 overall, ninth overall. And the big thing for me was how aggressive he looked on the track. He was really, really aggressive. We associate him with being smooth and tactical, and he was all that. but he had a lot of aggression thrown in there as well. And almost what he could have a four, wish he could have a fourth go at it because I really would like to have seen if he got away in the top three, top five. What he how long he could have tried to hold with the Bial and Gertz to me could have been battling with Beniston Horgmo for that third, fourth, fifth overall.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about a podium now. Beniston uh, was know. very very impressive in that second moto, but, yeah, but Sekumoto, I, I agree yeah. with you. Any, anywhere behind that, I don't think he would have been too far away. Probably, probably in the battle in the battle for fourth, fifth, or sixth yeah. overall. They were all very similar. Um, but yeah, um, it's just good for Everts to, to, to keep getting top 10 results, I think, because at the start of the year, we weren't even sure if he'd be in the top 10. I think he'd won day on the bike before Arco, and he was really good uh, at Majura. So he's learning lots and improving as he gets more bike time and more races under his belt. So he should be close to the top five in, in the next couple of GPs, you would think, if he can just get out of that gate.
0: Exactly, he's actually been very impressive. The last probably his two best GPs, even though the results this weekend didn't really show it, but the, the riding was, was pretty spectacular. Now it's two weeks to until the Spanish Grand Prix, Jorge Prado's home round. So the atmosphere is going to be electric there, especially when you throw in Ruben Fernandez, just capable of getting a start and running the pace as well this year. He wasn't even part of it last year, at least in the MX GP class. He was the star of MX2. For the Spaniards, but I'm pretty sure they're glad to have an extra weekend off, so even especially Prado and Tim Geyser, because that was pretty brutal and they're probably all just lying about the next couple of days trying to recover from that. I saw some photos of them getting uh, hosed down immediately after the moto, with the helmets and everything still on. It looked, it looked brutal.
1: Yeah, Vlander might still be drunk by the weekend.
0: <laughs> that was funny too. <laughs> it wouldn't take scary, much man. whenever he's uh dehydrated. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, just staggering
0: about the track.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just before we, we do touch on Spain, a shout out to Bastion Bodam. I think that was his Aye, tenth, first yeah. GP back, 10th overall. And Kevin Bruman, <laughs> he's been in the MX2 for a year now. He moved up early, but this guy was battling average in a 1-2-5. And he made the step up the MX2 very early in his career for him to finish 11 10 at that at the roughest track on the calendar for 11th overall. It's very encouraging, so it'll be interesting to see if he can keep that up.
0: Yeah, Bodan was sneaky good actually to get to get 10th overall. Um, Conrad Muse actually was riding well in race one, yeah. he only ended up with a couple of points, two DNFs, so a bit of a shame for him. He had the speed, now with the heat, it was a question of how long could he hold on, but he was in that 5, six, seventh battle, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him in the future, because there's rumours he might not be staying in the MX2 too much longer.
1: Yes, well, that could be his last GP of his career, and it sort of summed up his career, to be honest. The first moto, <laughs> riding riding, <laughs> riding really well, a bit of bad luck, and then the second moto, even though he had the bad luck, he wasn't riding quite to the same level. I think he was behind Kai Kajmakers in 16th or something yeah. before. So did he ride with the same flow, but kind of sums, sums his career up. So sounds like he could be a fill-in rider for the Diga Pro Cross team for the rest of the season, but we're just waiting official confirmation for that. But that'll be a new chapter and he'll definitely have to try and perform an MXGP because um, obviously he'll be looking a ride for 2023 in that class because he ages out of MX2 at the end of this year. So that could be his MX2 career done if, if rumors are or turn out to be true.
0: Yeah, and it just goes to show it's yet another rider moving up from, from MX2. We had Watson and Olson last year with three top guys again this year with Renault beating and Fernandez. No, it looks like we're Muse is eminently going up. We're gonna to have Tom Vial going up, I've already had Guanieri moving up. So it's quite a high turnover in MX two at the minute, but yet the still coming through. Guadanini. <laughs> very similar uh, that,
1: uh, No, I know, Woody joking. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and then you've obviously got Rabini as well. He'll be moving up. He'll he probably could be still sneaky. do a
0: job, Guadanini, on a fantastic round there.
1: <laughs> Guanara? <laughs> yeah, you said Gordon you know, that time <laughs> oh, you're
0: confusing me now I, it's too hard for me oh, dear, dear, dear dear Hard.
1: Uh, yeah and then you have Rubini moving up also so I think he could be sneaky good on a 452 next year but um, where are they all be... going to
0: fit though
1: well, well this is the <laughs> problem so many good be to...
0: Mitch Evans as well
1: yeah like well if, interestingly you enough maybe
0: just swap maybe
1: with Fernandez yeah well that's what it does sound like I was going to say because Adam Wheeler's article said that they're still going to have three HRC mm-hmm. Honda bikes and MXGP but likely Fernandez moving up so it would be a good idea maybe to put Evans back to 114 he's obviously raced there in MX2 before and you know he's still going to have a factory bike so not too much would change, and I think that would be a good fit and maybe like even less pressure for him yeah, as well. well the
0: pace he's shown this year, he deserves yeah, yeah, exactly. another year at least on a factory team because I don't think he's fully shown his potential. He's always given glimpses, but he hasn't quite got the start really this year to really show what I, I think it's coming. And once he starts getting those point, those results a bit like Flandron, you don't know where he could end up.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. And he, he's been very good for Honda as well, you know, I don't think they would have even thought that he would show these speed slash results yeah. after what he's been through. So, yeah, I don't see why not. And I think Livia liked working with him, enjoyed working with him. So that would be a good fit, I think. But obviously, that's complete speculation at this stage.
0: Right, that's a wrap on Raiola. Next next few days, we'll do a preview on the AMN Nationals, which is going to be one of the most exciting in a few years, probably, with the addition of Crowley and Ryan Dungy. But for now, Andy, thank you, and we'll speak again soon.
1: Ciao for now.